0: Good morning. Thanks for being here for worship this morning and those who are joining us online and those who will be in Kindred tonight at 6 o'clock. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Proverbs 22, verse 12. Um, if you're following along in the outline, I've been told that I inverted that. So I think I put 1220 or 1222 or something like that. And it, uh, the irony in all that, it has to do with lying, if you go look that up. So. It's actually 2212, so if you could turn to that. We've got some Bibles coming down the aisles. If you need one, slip a hand up. Love for you to, to borrow one. Take it if you need it. I am uh, so excited to be back with you this morning. And uh, whenever Lori and I are gone, it just, it really feels like a piece of us uh, is, is missing, like a piece of you and, and just not being able to be here in person. I trust that you're having a great summer. Everybody having a great summer? Three people. How do you guys enjoy the heat? Yeah. Okay. Yesterday was hot. Was it hot yesterday? Yeah. We're having uh, elders and spouses and MLT and spouses to our house on Tuesday, and lo and behold, it's going to be 97 degrees. So it's going to be toasty. It's the series is based on Proverbs 22. It's called Catch 22. Before I jump in this morning, let me read Proverbs 22, 1 through 11. It says this A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Rich and poor have this in common The Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. In the paths of the wicked are snares and pitfalls. But those who would pre- Preserve their life, stay far from them. Start children off in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not turn from it. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Whoever sows injustice, reaps calamity, and the rod they willed in fury will be broken. The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. Drive out the mocker, and out goes strife. Quarrels and insults are ended. One who loves a pure heart and who speaks with grace will have the King for a friend. And then we'll get to verse twelve here in a second. If you haven't uh, maybe been able to be here with us every week, or you haven't joined us online uh, in the weeks that you've been gone, all of, all the messages can be found on our website or on Facebook if you want to go back and catch up in this series. In the same way, I remember I mentioning this a few weeks ago, but in the same way that our experiences in this life cannot be used to determine God's goodness. Our experiences in this life also cannot be used in determining God's faithfulness or God's knowledge or God's truth or his existence for that matter. Our experiences in this life cannot be what we use in determining God's character and his attributes and his faithfulness. God's knowledge and truth are not dependent upon our experiences. In fact, you can choose any characteristic of God and know that none of them are dependent on our life experiences. Neither is God's kindness or gentleness, and as we'll see today, his faithfulness stands outside of our decisions. It stands outside of our experiences. God cannot be affected by our life choices by our behaviors, and by our experiences. While God may be sad that we at times fail to experience all that he has for us, he is consistently himself, he is unaffected. Because the characteristics of God are not dependent on our life experiences, we can rest assured that we serve an unchanging God. I want you to ponder all that I just said for just a second, Just take a minute and ponder that we we serve an unchanging God and that there is nothing in our life, anything about us, any of our decisions or behaviors or experiences that redefines who God is, that he is consistent. The truth of who God is brings clarity to different areas of our life. Maybe there's an area that you're struggling, maybe there's an area that you're experiencing, but the truth of who God is, is the fact that he's unchanging. If you're following along, trust God's faithfulness. The first part of verse 12 says this, the eyes of the Lord keep watch over knowledge. The eyes of the Lord, that phrase is what is called anthropomorphism. It's an expression that's, that's used to attribute human-like characteristics to God because God is spirit and who does not have a physical body and eyes and ears like we might imagine a human to have or that we do have. In fact, the concept of God's eyes is mentioned 135 times in Scripture. It's similar to the phrases that we read like in Genesis, and God walked through the garden in the cool of the day. anthropomorphism, giving God human-like attributes. So what does this verse tell us about God's eyes? They keep watch over knowledge. They guard knowledge. They guard truth. God is all-knowing, and the word that we use to describe the fact that God is all-knowing is omniscient, which means the state of having total knowledge, the quality of knowing everything. For God to be sovereign over his creation of all things, whether it's visible or invisible, he has to be all-knowing. There is nothing that God can learn. God is unteachable. He has never forgotten anything. Wouldn't that be nice to never forget anything? The biggest lie we tell ourselves is, I don't need to write it down, I'll remember it. Right? Lucille Ball once said, not to brag or anything, but I can now actually forget what I'm doing while I'm doing it. Is that you? Sometimes when I'm talking with someone, and just before I'm about to tell them a story, I will say something to the effect, hey, now look, Seriously, if I've told you this before, would you just stop me and and just just tell me, hey, I've heard that. Uh, uh, That's that's kind of a nice thing we can do for other people, isn't it? He does not have to reason things out. He does not have to inquire. He's never surprised. He knows everything that will ever happen. Nothing Nothing will ever be forgotten. He has perfect knowledge, perfect understanding, perfect wisdom. I find it incredible God's comfort in the fact that God is omniscient. I don't have to know tomorrow. I don't have to know next week. I don't have to know next month. I don't have to know next year. I don't have to know how it, whatever it is, is going to turn out. Because I can rest in the fact that he has all knowledge. I can have peace because of his knowledge. I can live freely because he knows tomorrow and he knows next week and he knows next month. And his knowledge gives me reason to not be anxious. His knowledge gives me reason to not have to worry about anything. His knowledge gives me reason to loosen the grip on this life and to trust him. Lori and I just returned from vacation this past week. We took a trip to the great Northwest, to Washington and Oregon. We've been wanting to take this trip for for quite some time, and then COVID hit and other things. And one of the reasons for the trip was to explore my roots. I, I was born in Randall, Washington. Probably nobody's ever heard of that place. And I also lived in Aberdeen, Washington, only until I was three years old. So I, Obviously, I have just maybe one memory in Aberdeen, but nothing else. And Lori and I found the clinic that I was born in. It literally is like a little house. Um, and it was directly across the street from, from where we lived. And when we were there, we found what uh, what they call themselves, uh, self-proclaimed town historians where they know a lot of information, and and they literally said, why don't you just come over to our house and sit down and we'll try to answer some of your questions. And and, uh, they were quickly able to find information about my oldest brother who graduated high school there. My oldest brother only met twice because I was three years old when we moved and he was old enough to stay. So he stayed there and went on to college and I only met him twice because I went out there once when I was in high school and he came uh, to Des Moines, Iowa where I lived. And my brother died when he was 32, year, 32 years old scuba diving, saving somebody else's life. But I learned information about my brother that I never knew. And while we were visiting the couple, uh, this lady called on the phone. We're sitting at their kitchen table and we're visiting with him. I'm trying to collect information. Then he goes in his back room and he comes out with a picture of my brother, with information about my brother. Um, and this lady calls on the phone, and after the guy talks to her, he says, well, what, you graduated in 1968? And she said, yeah, she said, did you know Martin Vieth? She's like, yeah, I was really good friends with Martin Vieth. How bizarre that we're there, we're sitting at the table, this lady calls, and it was just, just kind of crazy, so I learned some more information. But all of this triggered in us an interest in both of our ancestries. And Lori looked up, Uh, ancestry.com and started researching. I don't know if you've done that. She's she's all the way back to the 1600s on my side of the family. And through her research, we discovered that I had an aunt who lived in Fargo and actually died in West Fargo. That's crazy. Um, In the late 80s. And I actually have a cousin who lives in West Fargo now that I've never met. That's crazy. Such amazing knowledge that's available to us. Now imagine eternity past and eternity future. There is not one ounce of knowledge that God doesn't know. Every detail of the estimated 107 billion people who have lived on the face of this earth, God is not only aware, but intricately involved in his creation, starting with conception and every day thereafter. Every detail. According to the scripture, he knows every thought and every word before it even leaves our lips. He mentions uh, even knowing when a sparrow will fall out of the sky or, or when we lose a hair off of our head. He knows our hearts and he saw us in our mother's womb. Our faith allows us to rest secure in him, the one who keeps his eyes on knowledge and who protects truth. Okay, so God knows everything. He lacks nothing, he's never surprised, yada, yada, yada. We've all heard that, so what? What does it have to do with me? What does it have to do with us? Just about everything, everything. Imagine life if God's knowledge was limited. Imagine if he did lack something. Imagine if God was surprised. God's infinite knowledge invites our trust in him and his faithfulness. Have we one reason to say that God has been unfaithful in my life? Have we one reason to say that God has never kept a promise? Has he ever broken a vow? Has he ever started something and then he gave up on it? Has he ever made a commitment and then he failed to keep it? Never. If God lacked knowledge, we would not be able to fully trust him. We would not fully rely upon him. May I encourage you during the times when you struggle, when life is hard, when you're struggling to trust God, to revisit his faithful hand in your life. A quick review sometimes of his faithfulness often renews our trust in him. It reminds us that he can be trusted because God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And he also says, you can never be separated from my love. God says, nothing can separate you. And God says, my mercies are new every single morning. Speaking of God's eyes, Second Chronicles 16, nine says, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I just want you to imagine this this picture, this anthropomorphism of where his eyes are ranging, scanning throughout the earth, and he's looking for those who are committed to him to strengthen them. Those who lean on his knowledge and wisdom, those who desire him, those who look to him, You know, just like God, true knowledge is eternal. True knowledge is grounded in eternity. And like God, it is unchanging, it's unwavering. We can grow in knowledge and we can gain deeper understanding of truth, but we cannot gain more knowledge than what God has from eternity past and eternity future. Nor can we change what is true from eternity past. John 1, 1 says this. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. The truth of God's word is embedded in Jesus. And Jesus said when he was on earth, John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, there's the gospel message right there. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, there's the gospel message. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way to heaven except through Jesus Christ, the Son of God who died on the cross for us. I hope you know Jesus. I pray you know Jesus. On March 31st, 1912, the Harland and Wolfe shipyard in England had finished their finest project. In just two years, a thousand workers had built the world's largest and finest ship. So confident were the architects and the workers that some called the ship unsinkable and said not even God himself could sink this ship. Famous last words, two weeks later the Titanic was in two pieces at the bottom of the North Atlantic with 1,500 lives that had been lost. Great human confidence we have, don't we sometimes, about this life. It pales in comparison to God's knowledge. Secondly, live faithful, not fake And it's the second part of verse 12. But he frustrates the words of the unfaithful. So the first part, the eyes of the Lord keep watch over knowledge. He protects knowledge and truth, but he frustrates the words of the unfaithful. To better understand the second half of verse 12, let me share another proverb. Proverbs 20 verse six says this. Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person Who can find? The NLT says it like this. Many will say that they are loyal friends, but who can find one who is truly reliable? What does Proverbs 20 verse 6 reveal to us? It shows us that there is an apparent contrast between many who, who claim to be faithful and who claim to be loyal and the rarity of those who actually are. It's a contrast between promise and performance, what we say and what we do. That's why the second takeaway I said, live faithful, not fakeful. Many people profess faithfulness, but many such professions are often found to be hollow. The word faith in the New Testament is a word which means to persuade. To have faith means to be persuaded that there is no other truth apart from God. That's what it means. So Solomon didn't write a faithful God who can find because God's faithfulness is not what's in question here. Solomon is clearly suggesting that a faithful person is not easily found when it comes to relationships in particular. Our faithfulness is directed in two directions. One, it's towards God, and another, it's towards other people. So it's vertical and it's horizontal when we think of faithfulness. What exactly would a person look like who is considered faithful towards God? Well, faithfulness towards God is not a matter of going through the motions. It's a life that's committed to God. Faithfulness is not knowing the truth. It's living by the truth. Faithfulness is not reading the Bible, even if it's every day. Faithfulness is drinking in the scriptures as though God himself is speaking to you. Faithfulness is not a routine prayer time at the dinner table or, or by our, our kids' bed. It is praising and thanking God. It's seeking forgiveness. It's making unselfish requests and taking time to listen. You kind of begin to get the idea of what does it mean to be faithful to God? Now do you see where Solomon was coming from when he said, a faithful man who can find. I've been guilty of all of those things unwilling to surrender my life entirely to God and to live faithfully. If God were in need of faithful men and women whom could carry out his work, his vision, could he rely on you? Would his eyes stop as he's looking throughout the earth on you? Would his eyes stop on me? Have we proven ourselves to be men and women who can be counted on? Have we stuck to the commitments that we've made to God? We know that faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit and it's developed in us through the Holy Spirit. And the very one to whom we are desiring to be faithful is the only one who can give us that faith. Second part of verse 12, he frustrates the plans of liars, is one translation. Or the NIV, which I'm using, the words of the unfaithful. We can only understand the second half of the verse because we understand the first half. There is no safety when a person chooses to live outside of God's knowledge and truth, no safety. Wisdom tells us to live under God's protection. To those who don't, they will find frustration after frustration. Life will be treacherous. It'll be confusing. It's going to be lonely. It's going to be dangerous. It's going to be risky. It'll be empty for anyone who lives outside of that. What are some areas of life people claim to be faithful but are sometimes found unfaithful? Areas that people claim to be reliable and can be counted on. For the next couple of minutes, um, I wanna use a relationship as an example. I wanna use the marriage relationship as an example. Now, not all of you here are married, and that's okay. Um, All of us know someone who is. In a couple of weeks, I will officiate a wedding. And when it comes time for the rings portion of the ceremony, I always say, who has the rings for this portion of the ceremony? And usually it's the best man. And the groom will take the ring and I have them take the ring and I have them start it on the bride's finger and I always have them, hey, hold up the right hand. And so, cause you get nervous and you don't wanna put it on the wrong hand and all that. And they kind of they start it on the finger and then I ask them to repeat after me. With this ring, I pledge to you my love and faithfulness. And then they slide the ring on. And then the bride does the same thing for the groom. Out of all of the weddings I've done, I've never had one person lean in and whisper and ask a question, is there any way we could skip over that word? Faithful. Marriage is just one example of where unfaithfulness destroys the consistency between promise and performance. In marriage, we state that we'll be faithful, and we ask the same of our spouse. But in a Christian wedding, we also make those same commitments and vows to God. I want you, I want you all just to kind of just listen really closely here for a couple of minutes. If you are in a marriage where one or both have been unfaithful, Let me just say how sorry I am. I can't imagine the hurt and the pain that you must feel. Let me also say that through repentance, through forgiveness, and through unconditional love, there is hope and there is healing. I've seen it many times. It's a journey of God doing what only God can do, and that is to restore that which is badly broken only through the blood of Christ. Notice that I didn't say you need to turn your head or that you should just accept a person back as soon as they say I'm sorry because that's what a good Christian does. I didn't say uh, you should leave it alone or you should just deal with it or you should just get over it. I didn't say keep a lid on it or hide it or pretend like it didn't happen. Unfaithfulness in a Christian marriage runs incredibly deep, and it ought to. It is the betrayal of a three-way covenant made between each other and God. And because of the covenant when your spouse is unfaithful, you will feel like you are coming apart at the seams. You will feel like a hand grenade went off deep in your heart and it was blown into a million little pieces and that you will never recover. There is hope. You might feel guilt as though somehow it was your fault. Or you're being told that it was your fault. Not so. We all have things that we can work on in marriage, but nothing is deserving of another person's unfaithfulness. That's a choice that they have made. Marriage takes hard work every single day, hundreds of times a day. From the moment you say, I do, until death do us part, it requires you to say yes time and time again. It takes us seeing the other person through the gospel. It requires us to offer grace and mercy and forgiveness and patience and gentleness and kindness over and over again. It requires us to fight not with each other but against the schemes of the devil who wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy anything that stands for God. Are you saying yes every day? Are you putting time and energy into your marriage? Are you sacrificing? Are you preaching the gospel to yourself? I have camped on the marriage union as an example, one example of verse 12b in the sense of how we carry out faithfulness in relationships. But look, faithfulness goes beyond even relationships. Faithfulness uh, delves into the, the, to the area of our convictions. We say, well, these are, these are my convictions based on the word of God. And so, so then we have to wrestle with, am I being faithful to my conviction? Am I being faithful to the vows that I've made? Am I being faithful to my friends? Am I being faithful to my word? Out of all of them, out of all the areas that we can talk about faithfulness, our faithfulness to God is by far the most important. He frustrates the words of the unfaithful. Would you stand with me and I'm gonna share with you the one thing and then we're gonna close with another song. We've talked about how God's eyes are watching or guarding over knowledge and truth and this idea of living faithful lives. And so the one thing is this. It's just a good reminder for us to leave with this morning that God's truth leads to faithful living.